Hey, welcome back to the All Access Podcast. My name is Wayne Brown. I'm so glad you joined us today. I'm excited because Pastor Larry Stockstill is going to be sharing a word that he shared at our Empower Conference on devotion. Pastor Larry pastored Bethany for 27 years, and now he's traveling all over the world pastoring pastors. And so leaders, pastors, lean in. This is going to be a great word for you. Let's hear this word on devotion. All right, all right. Come on, let's give Jesus a hand clap. He's wonderful. Amen, amen. Turn around and hug a couple of people. Tell them you love them. You're glad to see them. Great to be with you. Amen, amen. Wow, this is fantastic. Give me just a little more monitor. If you got it back there, I'll turn it up here. Thank you, Lord. Hey, I'm super glad to have my beautiful wife of 46 years with me, Melanie. Stand up. Let's give her a hand. And wow, this is such a fantastic thing to be in a full house. I have about 50, 40 leaders, pastors, and their wives who are in Pastors University this fall. We did our first module in August. Next week, I preached 12 times to them in three days. And I do that four times in four months. So they came August, they're coming back in a week. They come back in the end of October and they come back toward the end of November as well for three days and end up being 50 hours I'm with them, get an opportunity to impart to them prophetically and pray over them and answer questions after all 50 sessions. They have a learning community at the end of each session for about 25 minutes where they cover the territory of what we dealt with. And it is a lot of territory. It's the, uh, the lion, the eagle, the ox, and the man. And uh, it's really, really a, been a fantastic thing. Started in 2020. Now we have three, our 350th pastor that's going through it right now. So we're really excited and thankful to Bethany for opening this beautiful facility for us for the first time to do a whole uh, semester in Pastors U here. And uh, to see you guys here, your beautiful faces, uh, got to eat out under the tent with some guys. One guy just relaunched a church last week. And so many of you, you know, that are right out there on the firing line, you're a new generation, uh, you are the the Alpha Group, you are the group that's right out on the front lines. We do have some dinosaur pastors having a hard time turning their churches over to you. Uh, <laughs> there's a funny picture of a Jurassic Park dinosaur head laying on the ground, and Chris Pratt has his hand on it, and the funny caption says, this is an 85-year-old pastor who's in a 15-year transition to his youth pastor. <laughs> so I spoke to the Church of God World uh, Convention in the end of uh, July, 4,000 bishops, and they're wonderful, fabulous people, but we got some octogenarians up in that mug, brother. It's, it's, <laughs> in case you don't know, that's 80-year-olds that are just holding on, the night is coming, and, and so... We're working hard at trying to transition the new generation. I do have, I think, several pastors who have brought their successors with them to Pastors University this time. And over the last 
five semesters I've done it, uh, we've had many. And this is a time of transition. I praise God for Pastor Jonathan and Angie and the amazing job that his team is doing. You've met Rob, Chuck, uh, John, different ones here. And the music teams are literally world class. And they're in every campus. That's right. They have invested uh, huge uh, sums of money into the worship being just absolutely the best. Worshiping kids, as you know, are your two most important things besides the great man of God's message on Sunday. Come on now. But you've got to put money in the budget where uh, worshiping kids has to, has to do. And they have done that. I'm a member of Bethany. It's been 11 years now. I've been sort of uh, out running around the globe and then after COVID just doing Pastors You, which I didn't even know COVID was coming when I launched it. But the Lord has worked all that out in an amazing way. But I just, as a member of the church, just have seen the reality of this team. It's pretty phenomenal. And I know your churches are phenomenal because I go to them. I go to, I was in Denver last week, a Pastors You graduate from last fall, had 1,800 when he came. He now has 4,500 in one campus, 1,000 in another campus. He is exploding in Denver. Peyton Manning is a member of his church. They do Bible studies at his home. It's amazing. And I've just watched the new generation. You guys are just exploding. I think you're on the cusp of a mighty wave of the Spirit coming through this generation right now. Raise your hand if you'll agree with that. In fact, let me just pray that over you with your hand raised. Lord, I just agree that over these leaders is a tsunami of your power, Lord. And remove, Lord God, even the stain of COVID and all that happened in the last two years. And bring them into a new revival of energy and passion and devotion for you, Lord. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Let's clap our hands and give God praise for it. Amen. Now, Pastor Jonathan briefed me uh, about what he had spoken on to you last night. I have a similar word, though quite divergent, uh, after the first point, but I will elucidate his first point a little bit further. I was in the dentist chair yesterday getting uh, two crowns. Say, I'm crowned with many crowns. I don't know about you. And uh, so I'm laid back, and she left for about 45 minutes, let some stuff set or whatever, and the Spirit began to give me this word for you guys, and in the dentist chair, I started writing these notes, and I don't preach anymore, I father. I, I, I told Jonathan, you know, I got delivered from preaching about six months ago, and all I really do is just father new generation leaders. So um, in, the, in the seat there, I just started thinking about the word devotion, and if you got a you know, place to write or anything like that. Yeah, I do have a couple of notes going to go up on the screen. Cardiff was gracious to throw those in there for me. But I, I've just been thinking this word devotion. Now, we often hear the word devotions like it's plural. And I get that, you know, because, hey, you, you, have, you have your devotions uh, this morning. And people have, have sort of adopted that as a little bit of a ritualistic habit that, you know, it's a cool thing to do, and, and, and they get their book, and they get their devotional book, and, they get their, and, and I get all that. That's wonderful. 
But what I couldn't help but just think about was let's chop the S off the end of it, act like that's gone out the door, it left down to the French Quarter somewhere, and we are left with a word, and what is that word? Devotion. When Queen Elizabeth died, I heard a number of commentaries about her, and I kept hearing the amazing thing about her 70-year reign was her devotion. And I thought, well, that's kind of a British deal, I guess, just saying that word. But actually, it's a biblical term. And as I have been reading for the last few weeks, that word has stuck out in my mind. And I think there is a little confusion that I'll need to remove about devotion because there is this thing right now where people do not understand the power of devotion, of being devoted to something, heart and soul, mind and strength, all that you got, all you have inside of you to give it all and lay it all down and be devoted. They spoke of Queen Elizabeth's devotion to country when they tapped her on the shoulder down in Kenya as a little 25-year-old girl, been married four years, just down there running around countries trying to make them happy with the British Empire. And they said, hey, by the way, you're the queen today. And she couldn't believe it. And they told her, act like a queen, live like a queen. And she had to fly back to London to the millions of people welcoming her as a 25-year-old. I saw him putting that crown on her in the film there in the Tower of London. And how that little blinking 25-year-old received the mantle of 2.3 billion people she was the head of state over in the world blinking those little eyes think about it 25 years old and she took on the devotion to rule that country so when we say this word devoted devotion it's sort of the nuclear fuel in the book of acts down in the submarine that powered the whole thing small word but without it, there's no fuel. Even in Acts 1.14, you say, they, it says that they were in the upper room devoting themselves to prayer. No idea what the baptism in the Holy Spirit was. Jesus just said, go tarry and wait. And they went in there. Now, most churches do not even have a corporate prayer meeting. Don't even know what that is. And I get that. Please don't be condemned about that because we've not been taught it. We've not been shown it. It's not been imparted to us. But when I became pastor in 1983 at 30 years of age, one Sunday night, Daddy and a missionary looked at me and said, we believe you're supposed to become pastor tonight. I said, no, not me. I'm going back to Africa as a missionary, man. I, I'm not doing that. Fifteen minutes later, the Lord told me, this is your destiny. And I looked at those men, and Melanie and I agreed, we'll do that. And boy, what a why in the road that was. Here I am, be 70 next month, or next year. So 
it's been almost 40 years ago I made that decision to in one night and boy did everything change but something came on me a devotion to Bethany a devotion to this church my parents started this church in their living room and they worked jobs they had no income my daddy was the head of the Baptist Pastors Association in Baton Rouge 40 churches and he had to get a job as a pipe fitters helper catching a ride out on the road at five o'clock in the morning mama sold world book that's how this one got started I don't know about all the other methods but that's how this one got started and I've seen devotion and I guess I just want to kind of impart something to you today if you're thinking about quitting and by the way George Barna did a survey a year ago year and a half ago if you could quit today pastor would you do it if you had a place to go 29% checked yes when they repeated it this year in March of this year 42% said I would quit today if I had a place to go there's 42% of people in this room that are contemplating quitting and you say well I'm the only one no how about one out of two almost so I'm going to speak here. I guess this is the Holy Spirit giving me this word for you. I don't know. I've never preached it before. But there's a nuclear fuel that has to get down inside your gut. And it's, it's got to burn down in there in some mighty dark times and difficult times. And I have found that devotion is a body of habits or practices that prevent neglect of who or what you love it's habits or practices that prevent the neglect of what you love say a country or who you love your spouse your children your church now I heard a great teaching in London I preached over there in 2019 with Greg Surratt we preached to the top 60 churches of England and Dave Smith was hosting it, and Dave the pastor said, devotion, he didn't use the S, devotion is not a snack, it is a meal. He said that you don't have to prepare for a snack, but when you have a meal, you want the lights to be correct, the place settings to be correct, the food to be correct. There's an intentionality about a meal versus a snack. And many Christians have now moved into the snack mentality with God. That if I catch a little snack at 140 driving uh, my kid over to here and dropping them off, I, I'm good. But that is not a table fellowship with Almighty God. And I'm going to talk about the difference because my, my pastor's university, very session number one out of 50 is the pastor and his private prayer life. Number two is the pastor and his corporate prayer life. And in the afternoon, it's all about fasting. By the way, I do not like to fast. I have never liked it. It should not be called fasting. It should be called slowing. Come on, somebody. That thing slows down on you bad. And I was in the third day of my first fast, and I felt like I was dying. 
in Walmart, I heard a voice over the loudspeaker said, shoppers, we have hot biscuits in the garden department. And I got thinking about that hot biscuit, and I told Melanie, I'm done. I went back there. I know it's the third day of my fast, but I went back there, and the lady sitting behind the desk, I said, ma'am, where are the hot biscuits? She looked at me so funny, and I said, well, you just announced it over the loudspeaker. She said, no, I didn't. I said, shoppers, we have hibiscus in the garden department. <laughs> Come on, let he that have ears to hear hear what the Spirit is saying. I'm saying I don't like to fast. And I felt this sense of duty of prayer and fasting and all of that. But let me say that devotion is above duty or discipline. Devotion rises to a higher place than duty or discipline. We could just stop right there and just go the rest of the time, which I won't. But I'm saying we get this confusion. When we bring devotion into the realm of duty, it becomes suffer something different. Devotion is love-based, fellowship-based, relaxed, interaction-based. It's different. I'm not talking about duty or discipline. Let me tell you the trap of causing all of your devotion to be about duty and discipline is that now we're in the Calvinism thing that everything's either law or grace and you got the grace bunch and they're saying anything that has to do with discipline is Old Testament law. Now let me just stop right there and say that devotion is not law versus grace. It is love versus neglect. And you can write a couple of these down if you need to, and we'll give you time because I want you to go back and sort of chew on this after you go back home. Because devotion is not law versus grace. It is love versus neglect. I read in my readings the last couple of months, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. I read the McShane reading plan I have for the last five or six years. I did one-year Bible 30 years and I crossed over the verse in Jeremiah 2 and verse 2 where God said, I remember your love as a bride. Watch this carefully. The devotion of your youth, how you followed me in the wilderness. Israel thought they just came out of Egypt and ah, I'm free. But God thought, here comes the bride. Here comes the bride. And he said, I remember how you came after me in the wilderness. And the devotion of your youth. And then in Ezekiel 16, I read this morning in my readings. God said, I saw you wallowing in a field of blood with no clothes on. And I spread the corner of my garment over you. And covered your nakedness. That's a statement of marriage. I spread the corner of my garment, like, like Ruth said to Boaz, spread your garment over me. That, she basically proposed to Boaz. That's what she did when she made that statement. He said, I spread my garment over you. That, was, that meant I married you. 
I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. He married Israel in the wilderness. At Mount Sinai, you witnessed a marriage ceremony. God came down to the wedding and married Israel. And it's right there in Ezekiel 16. I spread my garment over you and I gave my vow. I entered into covenant with you. And he goes on in that chapter said, and then you went whoring after the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Philistines and, and you didn't even take money as a prostitute. You paid them as a prostitute and all of the things. Read Ezekiel 16. He can't believe it that they lost their devotion. Now let me give you some practical applications of this word. First of all, as Pastor Jonathan mentioned last night, is the devotion to prayer. I'm not where I want to be with prayer, but I'm not where I used to be. I'm always climbing the hill of God and getting above the fog and smog of the world and getting where I'm alone with Him in a devoted state. No law involved, no discipline, no duty. Deep fellowship where a table time, where an intentionality is there. No snack, no snatch. Where I'm having a meaningful time with him. And I've learned that there are four set menus on the menu when you're at the table with God. For me, I used the Lord's Prayer for about 10 years with Larry Lee, 1983 to 1993, praying it topically. 1993, I met Dr. Cho. He has that little tiny church over in Seoul, Korea. And he, he made me a board member of his board. I, I went 25 years in a row, and he taught me tabernacle prayer. The pieces of furniture of the tabernacle all represent a, a, a protocol of how you approach the Lord. If you're about to get in a car wreck now, you don't need to go through all of those things. You just say, Jesus. But if you're going to have a meal with him, you won't, don't want to leave out the cross and the labor, the sanctification and the lampstand and the table and the showbread and, and, and the things that Cho taught us for years. And I did that till 2008 and then prayer of Jabez came out. And I shifted over to that set menu and I went to, oh, bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me. Keep me from harm. We had a pastor came and preached recently at Bethany. He got all excited about the prayer of Jabez. He didn't realize he was calling it the prayer of Jezebel. Come on, help me out, Lord. And he said, and in that prayer of Jezebel, and I heard a lady in the North Campus say, oh, Jesus. And then in 2016, at a restoration service, the Lord gave me the uh, prayer from the end of 2 Corinthians 16, the love of God the Father, the grace of Jesus, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I call it the Trinity prayer. And that's what I prayed this morning in my prayer time at the house was the Trinity prayer. So I don't know what you use. I teach all of those at Pastors University, but what I'm saying is there's some set menus that are good, but they all combine three elements. And let me give them to you. I'm still talking about devotion to prayer. Number one is waiting. Just write these three words under prayer. Waiting is number one. Now look up at me. Just a minute. Look up at me. Waiting is something I have a hard time with. I'm going to be real honest. My brain, 
multi-tracks and multi-tasks from the moment I wake up I'm already solving problems and going here and I'm already down the road there but I learned that in the scripture when God tells you be still and wait on the Lord it's numerous times go through the Psalms and see how many times it tells you to shut up and just sit there only once in the Old Testament does it say a person sat before the Lord. It was David. When Nathan said, I'm going to build you a house. And it is never going to stop. All of eternity, you'll have generations. I'm building you a, a legacy and a destiny and a generation. And he was so overwhelmed by Nathan's prophecy, he went and he said, he just sat before the Lord. Just. And I have learned now the power of sitting in total silence and telling my body and my mind to be quiet. You do have authority over them. And I wait before the almighty God until I get a revelation of how high he is, the most high. And I just wait. And something will come up in my spirit, maybe five minutes, six, seven minutes. That's about as long as I can go. I'm being honest about it. A word, a phrase, a song. And I enter phase two sort of, and that's worshiping. Waiting is the beginning and the commencement of worshiping. And that's why we miss it with worship. We have not waited in silence waiting upon him who created you and made a hundred trillion sons came out of his mouth in one second. That God, that one, that you and I are at a table with fellowship and just sit there and just look at him. And then something will come up and you start entering into a time of worship. And I may sing five, six, seven psalms in a row I may get up and walk around with my hands raised I may even start dancing around a little bit with some praise entering his gates with thanksgiving his courts with praise and I don't mind how long that goes on that may go on 10 15 20 minutes praising God worshiping God and then I enter the last phrase is warfare and that's when I'm going to bring the promises of God before God and I'm going to begin to command the enemy off my children, my finances, my relationships, my emotions, my calling, all of the different areas he tries to hitch a ride. You know, my favorite movie is Air Force One. And I love it when that great theologian Harrison Ford gets on that back ramp of Air Force One with the last terrorist, the most wicked one, and it looks like he's about to push the president off, and he wraps that rope around that guy as it looks like the man's about to kill him, and he kicks him over his head, and that dude goes out the back of it, 50 feet away, hanging by that rope, and what did Harrison Ford say after he kicked the last terrorist off? Come on, what did he say? Get off of my plane. And every day, Psalm 112, I tell him, get off of my children. My children will be mighty in the earth. I tell him, get off my finances. Wealth and riches are in my house. 
I tell him to get off my relationships. I'm merciful, gracious, and forgiving. Get off of my emotions. I will not fear bad news. And get off of my calling. I scatter abroad. And I go into a time of warfare, and I'm not ashamed of that because the early church, this is how they were devoted to prayer. It was a devotion to God. It was a time of relationship, of waiting, worshiping, and warring. Let me jump to number two. There's a devotion to the Word. A devotion to the Word. When I got saved, really saved, at 16, I was backslidden. Several years of my teenage years, I came back to the Lord. And I began that month, God called me to preach. I preached my first sermon, 10 minutes on the rich young ruler. I admit I was making some stuff up at the end of it. <laughs> but that's been these 53 years ago, I'd started preaching. But I started getting a Dake's anointed reference Bible and amplified on one leg each. And I started reading through the books of the Bible. And I fell in love with the Bible. I am in love with the Bible. I love it. I have read it now at least 40 times all the way through every year. But it does, I've taught every book of the Bible. But it doesn't matter. I get a rhema word every single day from the Lord. I get something out of my McShane readings that I do. And from that word, I pastored a church. From that word, I counseled people all day. From that word, I made decisions about what we were going to do because I didn't know what I was doing. The Bible has been a guide, and I learned that it starts with reading. And I want to just challenge you. Those in Acts 6 says, we're not going to wait on tables now. We're going to get some deacons to do that. But we will devote ourselves, the apostle said, to two things. What was it? Prayer and, help me out, the ministry of the word. And there's a certain devotion to this book. Some of you need to get your face out of Facebook and get your face in the book. Go back to the Bible itself until you fall in love with the Bible. When you fall in love with the Bible, you'll tell about how much you love it to your people on Sunday morning. Your messages, oh, you will feed yourself as you're preaching. You're so blessed by what you're reading and what it's like morsels, it's like food. And I want to just challenge you not only to read, but to study the Word of God. I got the Logos program years ago, maybe 20 years ago. And I do my Bible readings on Logos. And every time I come to a, a, a niblet, just a little nugget that the Spirit speaks to me, I stop and I open the note tab and I write out the revelation I get. And sometimes it's a year later, passing back through that chapter, I reread something so good. Why didn't I preach on that? And I do. And I wrote a note this morning from Ezekiel 16 about how God passed by and spread his curtain and married her there in the wilderness. 
And now I see that next year. I've got enough to do a whole commentary on the whole Bible. In 20 years, I've got notes, every chapter, many verses of every chapter. And that's what I want you to do is run rabbit trails. When you see something, stop the reading and go into study mode. And, and, and the only little Greek I know runs a delicatessen on Toity Toy Street. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But I still, they've done all the Greek study for it. Let them ferret it out. But you get fed. You, you get food. You, you strengthen yourself. Put on your oxygen mask first. Then you can save somebody else. And then preparation. I read because I love the Word. And I love the Spirit that wrote it. I study because it feeds me, it grows me, it matures me, but I prepare my meal for a group of people that I'm going to feed on Sunday. Don't push that off in your mind and just get a little sermonette for Christianettes. Get you a meal. Get you, and I'm not talking about the four blood moons either. Come on, help me out. I'm talking about something practical that hook, book, look, and took. We teach preaching the whole third day of Module 1 of Pastors University. Get some practical things that people can walk out the door with. And thirdly, I'm talking today about devotion to your spouse. You know, I'm dealing with some things I've never dealt with before as an overseer. I have 17 churches that I've been working with for a long time as an overseer. And... I'm, I'm dealing with some stuff now called divorce. I've never dealt with it. In 40 years, I've never, never dealt with pastors divorcing. It's happening everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere. Nobody knows what to do with it. And it's because the pastor has developed a new mistress. His church growing. Lost touch. The word devotion means attachment. That's a definition. He's lost his attachment to his beloved, his spouse. You know, the one that ran off after him into the wilderness. You know, the one that bore all those children. The one that's cooked all those meals and washed all those clothes and cleaned that house so many times. The one that's had to do the counseling and do so much. Yeah, that one. They've lost the attachment. And let me just tell you, I told Melanie, you leave me, I'm going with you. I'm telling you, I'm joined at the hip with that one right there. And you think 46 years, hey, 66, 86, whatever, don't matter to me. We're going to grow old together. We're going to look at each other. We're going to say, how you doing today? <laughs> That's her. That's the one. That's it. One and done. And I'm, I'm challenging you now. If you need to back away a little bit, your marriage is almost gone, frayed down to a thread, you'd be better off to pursue her and reignite that relationship and let Brunhilde Hucklemeister go on down the road somewhere 
Because this is devotion. And I mean, Elizabeth was married to, to King Philip till 2021. No telling how many years they were married. Their whole life. They were married four years before she became queen in 1953. The year I was born, she became queen. And she just died as queen and was married to Philip. He died last year. That's what I'm talking about. My parents married 67 years. Mama died with Alzheimer's two weeks before she died. They were sitting on the love seat. They were kissing on the love seat. And let me just tell you, there's a devotion that's got to be there. And you've got to prioritize and attach. And, 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 and that devotion has to do with conversation. You've got to set up some time that it's not a snack. But it's a table experience with them. It's an hour or so. We start the day with coffee and a, and a Costco bar and a walk. And it's always at least an hour. And you, it, it, it's, it's a devotion. And if that ain't enough, we'll do it three times a day if we need to. Because that's the priority. And I'm telling you, I've had to learn this. I, it's not that that devotion hadn't been tested by the church. But I done made up my mind. That's who I'm staying with. And then you're going to prioritize her over anything and everything or him. And then covering. You're going to have to cover her. Not smother her, but cover her. And you're going to have to protect her from some people in the church that want to point their finger at her while right in the church. You go step between them and smile, but inwardly you're saying, do you have a problem or are you looking for a problem? You're covering that wife. And I get into that in module two next. I can't wait to do that next week. And third, fourth is devotion to your family. And I'm talking now about your children. And they need some time. They need a family night every week. They get all this, oh, I got a meeting tonight. And oh, I got a council tonight. And oh, I got, and they hear that day after day after day. They begin to withdraw and that attachment leaves. And you wonder why so many children of pastors are backslidden. Because they lost the attachment years ago. So what if they love paintball? You got to love paintball. I hate paintball. I got shot in the ear with a paintball once. I hate it. But one of mine got into it. And it's, it, you're going to have to have time and learn to affirm them and correct them. And, and that's a whole other thing that we have to get into. But let me go to the last one, devotion to your church. You notice I put it last. It's fifth place. You got God and your table time with Him. You got the Word of God. You got your spouse. You got your kids. And now we come down to the church. I think that you've got to be devoted to your team, your, your staff, your core, actual core people who are doing this thing with you. I had 28 pastors at one time doing small groups. And that was the team. Everything was done through that team. You've got to be devoted to them. You cannot run all over the world, all over the country, all over everywhere and touch base with them every two or three months. Ain't going to get it. You're going to have to be right engaged 
devoted to them because you're asking them to be devoted to your congregation. And secondly, to leaders, that's volunteers. I'm going to be devoted to the people who work jobs, some of them two jobs, and take on a third job by volunteering at our church. I am going to give them some loving and some time and some banquets and some recognition from the pulpit and a break every now and then. I'm going to be sure they're not overdoing it, and I'm going to be devoted to them. And lastly, I'm going to be devoted to the congregation, pastoral care. That's why I headed to the lobby a lot and shook people's hands. People say, oh, brother, aren't you afraid to be around the people? I said, the people? Last time I checked, they pay my salary. I have a very light job because of the people who are paying me to be their minister. I want to shake their hand. I want to look them in the eye. And I didn't do it every service, but a lot of times I just drift back there and shake about 300 hands and look them right in the eye and see them pass. And they feel the genuineness of your love. We're talking about devotion now, the nuclear fuel that's down in the bottom of the submarine. My time is up, but I'd like you, if you will, just to close your eyes where you're sitting there. Maybe, as Pastor Jonathan talked last night about the fire going out in the middle of the night, maybe in your tank, that book of Acts devotion is not there, probably because we're not in revival. But I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to place it back inside of you. Would you lift up your hands and express your love to the Lord or waiting quiet right there upon Him who created you, who spoke the stars into existence. What is man that He's even mindful of us? Father, this morning, we are so thankful. We are so thankful, Lord, that You are devoted to us. Jesus, that you were so devoted, you left the beauty of heaven and lived 30 years just to die in our place. And you were nailed to the cross, so devoted, so devoted, Lord. We want to be devoted to you. I pray a spirit of devotion come upon every pastor and leader here, every worship leader, every person that's engaged with children. I pray, Lord, it not be duty or discipline. If we've slipped into those attitudes and environments, Lord, would you set us free? Now, with your hands raised, begin to worship. Just begin to worship God. Start praising Him. Say, thank you, Father. Oh, why don't you just worship in tongues for a minute? That'll do you good. Let your spirit begin to communicate out to the Father. That's how you stir up devotion inside of you. If you're weak, if you're, if you're wean, feel, feeling sort of, sort of dis, disattached and disconnected from the source of God's grace. Father, just right now, let, let a, a worship come up. Just worship Him. Father, we worship You. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Come on out loud. Start saying, blessed is the Lord. Glory to the Lord. Mighty is the Lord. Powerful is the Lord. Glorious is the Lord. Great and mighty is the Lord. 
Oh, hold on, man. I think you should stand with your hands raised. Something is in this room. The power of God is here to quicken you. If you've become dead inside, as was preached last night, let that devotion start coming back. A, a love for God, a love for His people, a love for His Word, a love for your spouse, a love for your children. Such a love for time alone with God. Lord, we thank you that you are rekindling the fires of devotedness. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Forgive us for mechanicalism. Forgive us, Lord, for stepping backward into the church as a, as a business. And Lord God, let us run after you in the wilderness. Thank you, Lord God. Hey, thank you for joining the All Access Podcast. Hopefully this message challenged you and provoked you to be in the best version of who you are. Hey, will you do me a favor and hit the subscribe button and also share it everywhere you know. We're going to keep putting out great content. And until we see you next time, we love you. We'll see you.